Hi everyone, welcome to episode 60 of the Book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we're here today with our mystery man, John Valerie. Uh, guess it's not so much a mystery anymore, is it? <laughs> it's a mystery when you'll show up. The mystery is why they keep inviting me back. I don't know. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, so John's been with us before on two episodes. Regular listeners will remember his voice. He was on episode 25 and 49. And John is a writer, he's a reviewer, he writes profiles on authors, author interviews for Mystery Scene Magazine, The Strand, Criminal Element, and a host of other mystery and suspense-related outlets. My new thing is erotic poetry. <laughs> oh, just, really? No, just, I thought but you were going to... I heard you like that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to just break right in. Yeah, let yes. me read you my newest. Well, we're here at the, in, in, in a place I didn't even know existed until yesterday. We were looking for a, a, a mutual meeting spot, and we have met in the past in Middletown. And there was no space in that library, so we're in Portland, Connecticut, Portland, which Connecticut. I didn't even know existed. But yeah. it's it our mystery does. It's my hometown. hometown. I blame this library for all my <laughs> promiscuous, bookish ways. <laughs> it's a beautiful library. It's very nice. I'm I have so to come back to more it. often. Yeah. It's really nice. I love their red lights that they have all around. They have, you know, the traditional listeners try and imagine like the banker's lights mm. with the green covers on them. These are red. Well, this and is their red really light district. <laughs> wow, there's a theme here. I'm really curious to know what books John's going to talk about. <laughs> Scary, huh? Yes. Totally, yeah. Yeah, so John is going to be talking about upcoming books in the mystery thriller horror maybe maybe a little I taught yeah Yeah. Halloween's coming so I did pick one horror title yeah so titles he's looking forward to because he has his thumb and finger and whole palm on the pulse (laughs) of the mystery scene I was wondering where you were going with that (laughs) (laughs) weren't you (laughs) I was a little worried I actually thought I would start with some books that are out now that I didn't talk about since last time we got okay. together, which I think was all the way back in May. Yes. Hard to believe. So I am going to go chronologically if my note cards are in order. Just don't drop them. I, I, I watched a very famous person once stand up on a podium and do this big thing with her hands and her notes went flying everywhere. <laughs> That's so. not a good way so, to start. Yeah. She's still famous afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last anybody ever heard of her. That's right. <laughs> All right, we've got your back if your cards slip. So the first one I am going to start with is Last Girl Gone by J.G. Heatherton. Uh, It was a debut novel that came out early June, and it actually fell in my lap completely by mistake um, because I got it through Criminal Element, and I was supposed to be reviewing Wendy Corsi Staub's Little Girl Lost, uh, which I talked a little bit about last time, Mm -hmm. and understandably they sent me the wrong book. Oops. Because the titles are very similar. It's that girl thing. But then I made the mistake of picking it up, and I'm like, this sounds kind of good. So I said, if I can get to it, you know, I'll try to read and review it. And then I did, and I was like, this is really, really good. Now I have to review it. So it made a lot more work for me, but totally worth it. So anyway, our protagonist is an investigative journalist. Her name is Laura Chambers, uh, and she was sort of a star on the rise at the Boston Globe. Uh, and then a source burned her. So basically, mm-hmm. there was a public shaming. She got dismissed, and she had to come home all the way to Hillsboro, North Carolina, uh, where she works for the little local Hillsboro Gazette paper, which, you know, Boston Globe, Hillsboro Gazette. 
not so grand. She also has to move back in with her mom, who she has a very bad history with, so things are tumultuous personally, professionally. Not great. A story falls in her lap. Uh, girls are going missing, which some are murdered, some are still missing. And she begins investigating, lands a front page story, and then sees her story given to someone else who works at the paper just because he has a better reputation locally. Uh, and the editor thinks that the community will be more forthcoming with him. So she really wants the story back. And so she sort of is intrepid and she goes out on her own. Her boyfriend happens to work in the police department. Uh, so people just assume that she's sort of getting all of her information from him which isn't necessarily the case. But things escalate pretty quickly. The kidnapper slash killer sort of opens a line of communication with her sort of Zodiac style, mm -hmm. um, which I found very interesting. Um, but what she realizes is that not only are girls going missing and being killed now, but it happened in the past too. Oh, yes. interesting. Isn't it? So anyway, so she ends up, you know, investigating not only the present, but the past. Really, really interesting. And I think some deep themes, too, because one, you know, she wants to get the story. She wants to sort of rebuild her reputation, but she also just wants justice. And getting justice might mean that she has to do it for the sake of something other than a story. So really, really solid Ooh. debut. I was so glad I just read it and debut. reviewed it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would encourage people to check it out. That, Book number one. Book number I know, one. that card goes down, boom. <laughs> <laughs> done. I can throw that one if you want to. But I don't know if we'll have time to clean it up. So my second recommendation is Providence by Caroline oh, Kepnes. Yeah. And I think that you... Emily read Emily yeah. Read yeah. yeah. And I really... You know, I wasn't sure what to think. I was a really, really big fan of her earlier books, uh, You and Hidden Bodies. You was actually just made into a television show on Lifetime. It just debuted. Um, and those were great. It was sort of about a charismatic serial killer, stalker guy, Joe. And I really, really liked those because I could relate. I don't, not to the serial <laughs> killing part, not even necessarily the stalking, but just some of his interests were like, I, I could relate. Right, okay, <laughs> stop talking. Look, that's the PD. They're like going to Love me power. those charismatic serial killers. Don't we all love those? But this one is like a total departure. I believe it's a standalone. It was through a whole new publisher. And really, really interesting because... What I like about Caroline is she has a very distinct voice. You know, anything you read by her, you can tell that it's her. It's just unlike anything mm. that you're likely to pick up elsewhere. And so this one, again, it can't be put in a box. There's mystery elements, thriller elements, romance elements. There's a little bit of supernatural, um, which I tend to hesitate with, but it was done subtly enough that it really didn't bother me any. Yeah, you were, Emily was concerned about that aspect of it yeah. too, right? Because that was one initially Michael Kindness had told us about and given us the arc. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. But and it thrills me as a reviewer to hear you say it's hard to define because I had a really hard time defining it also. Right? It's like, what is this? It's yeah. really compelling, but you just can't put it in a box. Yeah. It would be a lot of boxes. Yeah. But that's what I like about her. Uh, so anyway, you know, the quick backstory is it's sort of about an unlikely friendship between John and Chloe. John is sort of a very shy, you know, dweeby sort of person, and Chloe is very popular. John, John you're like looking at me, and you're like, your name is John, too, and you were, yep, 
I don't know why I could relate to this book <laughs> at all. Uh, but Chloe's the popular girl, and somehow, you know, they end up having this really unique friendship despite those sort of superficial differences. And then John just happens to get kidnapped, and he disappears for several years, and some weird things happen to him. Um, and later he, you know, shows back up just before high school graduation, and he wants to sort of rekindle a relationship with Chloe, but of course it's not that easy. They really are sort of the star-crossed lovers. Uh, And then the book shoots forward in time and we move from, where are we? I don't know where we were, but we moved to Providence, Rhode Island from wherever. They started in New Hampshire. That's where they were. Weird things happen in New Hampshire. Apparently. (laughs) I need to just move them. Um, But anyway, so we meet another character uh, whose name is Detective Charles Eggs de Benedictus or something like that. And his nickname (laughs) is Eggs because I think like Eggs Benedict. I think that's hysterical. Um, But he is a cop who is, you know, sort of facing his own personal demons. And he has some health scares, some family concerns. And he's really, really obsessed uh, with a case, which is a string of sudden inexplicable deaths of college students and townies in Providence. Um, And of course, as things tend to do, all these storylines come together in completely surprising ways. Really, really interesting story. And I just, I couldn't not recommend it because Caroline has quickly become one of my favorite new authors. And I actually realized in reading her books that I used to read her columns in Entertainment Weekly. Um, Yeah, so she wrote for them and so did Gillian Flynn. So like I have a thing for people who write for Entertainment Weekly and then they go off and write books. So I am moving on to July and actually I have another debut novel from Paula Matter. It's called Last Call. I should preface this by saying like a decade ago or so, um, we actually did the same Seascape Writers Retreat down on the shoreline in your area. Um, And we met and Paula just had this very magnetic personality and we've sort of kept in touch all this time and she kept at it and lucky her published a book and it's really, really awesome. Hmm. I was hoping it would because you know your friends write books and like you... You have some trepidation there because it's going to be great. It's not going to be great. And then people are going to ask you. So good job, Paula. Um, (laughs) But anyway, really interesting book. Her protagonist is middle-aged Maggie Lewis, who is a widow who tends bar at a local VFW in Florida. Interesting setup. It is, yeah. And what I love about Maggie is she, too, has a very distinct voice. She is feisty, flawed, foul-mouthed, fun. You just want to spend some time with her. And, you know, the bodies and stuff are just like perks. (laughs) They keep you turning the pages. Um, people are really going to wonder about me. It's going off the rails. More so. Let yourself hang out. Yes, I do. <laughs> this is terrible. Like you, we were talking about all these like foods that I've been baking from Joanna Gaines' Magnolia Cookbook. Now that'll be in the notes too, right? Yeah, yes. another book. Yes. He's been posting. If you follow John on social media, you will be hungry because he's been posting all these beautiful, <laughs> hungry beautiful pictures. Yeah, hungry, scared, and confused. But yeah, we do a lot of baking in my house, and these recipes are great, but like none of them are healthy for you. Like if it's less than three sticks of butter, I'm like, score one for the diet. Uh, I don't even know what my point was. My point was you were saying like, let it hang out, and I joke with my mother, and I tell her pretty soon we're going to have to share a bra. (laughs) Oh my God. Sad but true. So yeah, moving right along. So back to last call. So we do have a murder victim, maybe more than one, but his name is Jack Hoffman, a Korean War veteran, and he's found dead in his truck in the parking lot of the VFW. 
And of course, Maggie Scrunchie is found in his truck with him, so she very quickly becomes a suspect in his murder. And she really, really needs her job because, as I mentioned, she is a widow, so she's trying to pay the bills, keep up the house. Um, and when she becomes a suspect, they want to put her off her job until the investigation is complete and, you know, possibly just sort of wipe her out permanently. So mm -hmm. she has several motivations for clearing her name. And the victim, something interesting about him is he would chronicle the misdeeds of all the fellow patrons of the bar in his notebook, and that goes missing <laughs> after he dies. Maggie's implicated, and she really wants to clear her name. Her job is in jeopardy. Fortunately, she has a tenant in her house by the name of Michael. He's a former cop and a PI in training. Um, so very conveniently, yes. he's able to help her, you know, pick up some tips of the trade to try to clear her name. Uh, the nice thing about this is it's a really, it's solid as a standalone, but you really want to revisit the character. Mm -hmm. um, and as much as the individual plot is tied up, there are some things that will continue. Uh, for instance, we learned that Maggie's husband was also killed, but we don't really know who or why. So I think, you know, moving forward, we will probably learn a little bit more about that, but another debut author worth checking and out. Do you know what city it is in Florida? Is it like Key West or? It is not Key West, okay. unfortunately. I do not who remember. Who is it who writes the Key West? Mm. Uh, oh. Roberta Islib, also known as yeah. Lucy Burdett. Right, Lucy yeah. Burdett, right. That's what I was thinking of. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, the no. moral of the story, ladies, is keep track of your hair scrunchies. That is yes. right. That's all you I got to say. I haven't even read the book, and I can tell you. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so another book I really enjoyed uh, from July was Megan Abbott's Give Me Your Hand. Mm. Um, and that's actually one of the ones I just I didn't really get to review for anything. I just sort of read it for fun. Uh, cause she, again, I think is one of those authors that just when you pick it up, you know it's a Megan Abbott book because her voice is that distinct and her stories are so unique. And I think that she captures like teen angst, angst whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, in a way that nobody else mm -hmm. really can, particularly um, in teenage girls. And for whatever reason, I find myself relating to that, too. You can all ask yourselves why. <laughs> but anyway, it's a psychological thriller, a standalone uh, about two BFFs, uh, who meet in school. They're both 17 years old. It's Kit and Diane. Each one is really intensely motivated, very interested in science. There's a doctor, uh, Dr. Severin, that they are really interested in working with. And they actually, you know, there's all that backstabbing and stuff in high school, but instead of that, they really motivate each other to be academically brilliant and do the best that they can. Uh, and it's kind of an unexpected friendship, um, but they become very close until Diane reveals her deepest, darkest secret. And then bad things happen. Uh-oh. They go their own ways, you know. Kit's probably like, this girl is probably not the one I should be hanging around with, and so they don't for, you know, many, many years. And then as things happen, uh, they end up working in the same science laboratory when Dr. Severin, uh, she's already working with Kit, but then she brings Diane in as well. Um, so more dead bodies, more secrets. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and the kind of cool thing, too, is they're researching premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is also known as PMDD. Um, so oh, it's basically women who have like very, very extreme PMS, which can, you know, theoretically cause them to do very irrational, violent things. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some of that mixed into the story, too. But mm -hmm. Well, I've never read her, but I've heard her books are just page turners. They are. Yeah. Like you just fall into them. Yeah. You don't even, sometimes you don't even know why. It just, just 
pulls you in, and then you yeah. can't escape until the book is done. Hmm. And she does a lot of writing for TV now. I think her last book, Dare Me, is going to be a TV series, and she writes for The Deuce, too, um, which is a TV show, so she's been very, very busy. But it's one of those ones you'll pick it up and then you're just going to want to stop living your life until it's done. Yeah, I love a book like that. Yeah, me too. Sometimes I'm just hankering for something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, get me out of my own life, please. Yeah. (laughs) In my own head. I hear you. Absolutely. That's when the Benadryl comes out and he's like, hey, just take one of these and I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) Eat something with three sticks of butter. Call it a day. What's that? A wellness check. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, moving on. All right. You should all go see the new Halloween movie on October 19th. Moving on now. I've only seen the first one. Oh, that's good. That's the only one you need to see. It's 40 years later. They have erased the entire franchise history after that movie. Laurie Strode and Michael Myers aren't even related anymore. She's just been waiting 40 years for him to escape so she can kill him. Excellent. She's got lots of guns. I am so psyched. And she has that white button-down shirt. Where the buttons are threatening to pop off. <laughs> oh my gosh, you know what? They like used that and like the promo stuff before they filmed. She looks completely different in the movie. Like oh, they she? gave her this long gray sort of grandmother wig. Okay. And she's just like sort of a unibomber, just like living out there, wow. waiting. Interesting. And, yeah. Oh. But she it's gonna be so oh. kick ass. She's gonna be great. Okay. Well, in the promotional okay. video, she's in this white button down yeah. that is so that tight is true. that I said, like, <laughs> those buttons could pop off and kill him. <laughs> End of movie. <laughs> oh my gosh, maybe, maybe that's the that's twist what's really going to happen. <laughs> you that heard it here like first. That's the best movie ever. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 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 that will be the blooper reel. All right. That was a great idea. You should, like, contact somebody. <laughs> Female Lou Ferrigno moment. <laughs> This is terrible. That happened to me. When, not my top. But, like, I was at Cole's trying something. <laughs> not your top. Well, I, my boobs aren't that big. I don't want to give people the wrong idea, but, like, you know, I was, like, buttoning shorts or pants or something, and next thing you know, boom, something hits the mirror. <laughs> Duck. <laughs> Emily, you look like you're going to pee in your pants. <laughs> All of a sudden, we're out of time. You got a lot of free okay. book recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> so we won't be doing this again. <laughs> or maybe it'll just be a whole different podcast. That's hilarious. This whole session could be a blooper reel. Good. Oh, God. Moving forward. So who's editing this? <laughs> Good luck, We're not going to edit this one at all. <laughs> We're just going to no, put it up is, there raw. It's all comic uh, gold. Uh, all right, moving uh, forward. Okay. So have I jumped into August yet? No, I'm jumping into August with Pieces of Her by Karen Slaughter. Oh, yeah. Her name is just perfect to write these types of books, yes. right? Yeah. But anyway, a lot of people know her from writing series. She wrote the Will Trent series and the Grant County series, and there was some crossover between those books. But in the last uh, couple of years, she's actually sort of moved into standalone territory. Uh, and this book is another standalone. Really interesting in that we meet Andrea, who is better known as Andy. Uh, she is a 31-year-old police dispatcher who has just moved back home uh, pretty recently because her mom, who was a speech therapist, had a scare with breast cancer, needed a little bit 
extra help. And Andrea was in New York sort of floundering anyway. So she came home. And as we all know, nothing good comes of people coming home. Mm-hmm. Damn straight. Bad things. <laughs> and this one's even worse. Like, it's bad enough. But, you know, she and her mom are out at the local mall, I think it is. And they're having breakfast at a local restaurant. And then a gunman comes in and opens fire oh, and God. kills people and injures people including some of the mom's speech clients. Oddly enough, it just happened to be in the restaurant, or did they? I don't even remember. Honestly, I don't remember, so (laughs) that's not a spoiler. Um, But what happens is Laura, the mom, who's a speech therapist, somehow fatally turns uh, the gunman's weapon against him. Not the gun, but he also, you know, unsheathed the knife. Um, And she sort of took control of the situation and ended up killing the killer. And at first, you know, everybody's saying, wow, you know, she's a hero. That was amazing. But then uh, the news media and the police start to question her motives and how was she ever able to do that? Was it deliberate? Did she mean to kill him when she could have just sort of ended the situation uh, some other way? You know, that's a little interesting spin, too. But then, you know, that same night, mom leaves the hospital. Uh, She tells her daughter, hey, you got to move out, like, right away. Just go. You're not welcome here anymore. Go find yourself. Um, And the daughter falls asleep. And before she can leave, uh, she notices a man sneaking in the house. Who is this man? Where did he come from? Is it a continuation of what happened at the mall? Or is it something that the media, you know, has brought attention to this family now? Does it go back even farther than that? So, you know, all kinds of shenanigans ensue inside of the house. And mom has to send the daughter on sort of her own journey of discovery. Like, you need to go. You need to go now. And don't even think about coming home until you hear from me that it's safe. Um, And at that point... She just laser with mom with this strange man? Yes. Some women like that. (laughs) (laughs) I told you to get out of here. Why are you still here? Um, So, yeah. So the daughter, Andy, sort of goes off on her own. So it's sort of a metaphorical journey, but a literal journey as well. And then there are very distinct parts to the book. So it goes back in time, and you learn sort of about mom's history and where she came from and whether or not there might be people in her past who are trying to catch up with her for some reason. So it was really, really interesting. And, of course, very... With an edge. Yeah. Totally, like... (laughs) Just when you think, you know, you think your mom is something. I mean, people always underestimate older women in general, right? Emily and I, when we were driving up here talking about that whole women over 50 thing being invisible. So we make the best criminals. Don't you? I was going to tell that to Laurie Strode in Halloween. We'll Mm -hmm. see what happens. Yeah, we, we have a friend who's a Chicago cop who my mom and her best friend Marge, silver hair, white hair, you know, and until he met them, he was just like, I never paid attention to Q-tips, <laughs> as they call them. He's like, I never paid attention, you know? He's like, but now I'm suspicious of all of them because of you two. <laughs> That's an accomplishment. Yes. <laughs> I would be proud of that. So anyway, it goes off in a completely divergent way, you think, but the storylines come back together. Um, it's sort of a very politicized book, and my feeling is that people who are familiar with Karen Slaughter's older books might be a little bit more divided about this. But even so, you know, it keeps you turning pages. It's not the story you necessarily expect that you're going to get. Um, but again, what I like about Karen Slaughter is she, you know, does not have a problem with taking risks, even though she's very well established. You know, a lot of people sort of get comfortable in what they're doing and they yeah. say, all right, it's working for me. I'm going to do the same, right. but maybe slightly different. Yeah, I'll just keep phoning and, it in, right? Yeah. Right. And Karen Slaughter is sort of out there and she's just like inviting people to come play with her. <laughs> 
Oh, Chris. You're the one, you're the one who's daughter. blushing, John. Don't blame it on me. It's hypertension. <laughs> my doctor. She'll vouch for me. So anyway, Pieces of Her, Karen Slaughter. Interesting book. Cool cover, too. Is it? Same. Very well done book. I actually don't own a copy of the final version, but I picked it up at the bookstore, and it was hard to walk away from it. Yeah. I'm sure I'll be back. I love a good cover. Yeah. yeah. They do make a difference. All right, moving right along. Uh, so another August title is Trust Me by Hank Felipe Ryan. Mm. I don't know if either of you have read her, but she has written a couple of series, um, one about Charlotte McNally, uh, who is a TV, an aging television reporter, uh, and then more recently a series about Jane Ryland, who is also a reporter in Boston. Uh, and this is actually Hank's first standalone novel, mm. and it's been getting all kinds of you know crazy Praise. It's like one of the most hyped books of the season. And the interesting thing about Hank herself is she's actually an investigative reporter in Boston. Uh, and she is so decorated, it's ridiculous. She has 34 Emmys, uh, 14 Edward R. Murrow Awards. And that was just like, as I as of when I wrote these cards, I should yes. probably check. It's probably changed. <laughs> right but. There, yeah. I did read one of her series. The earlier ones? The, the earlier Charlotte ones. McNally ones? I think so. I yeah. really liked those books, but yeah. just because like, you could tell it really was sort of Hank running mm-hmm. around doing mm-hmm. all those things. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, she brings that incredible background to her stories, and also she's married to a criminal defense attorney, so she's got that going for mm-hmm. her, too. She's Plenty like, of material. Yeah, yeah, she's like, I'm just sitting around, and I hear him practicing his arguments at the table and I believe him <laughs> you know and then I'm like well that's his job is to like make you believe him it's really all about who tells the better story but anyway trust me is going to sound very familiar it's going to you know have shades of Casey Anthony um, which I recently found out was very much intentional because Hank actually was supposed to be writing a true crime book about the Casey Anthony case mm. and it fell apart when the jury came back with their not guilty verdict because then they said nobody's going to want to read that book because that's not the ending that people mm. were expecting or really rooting for. Yeah. Um, mm. So all these years later, she was sort of able to turn it into a fictional tale. Uh, so she has Mercer Hennessy, who is a bereaved Boston journalist. Her husband and child were killed in an accident. She's basically, you know, reclusive, living in her house, hasn't worked in quite some time, understandably. And then one of her old colleagues comes to her with a proposition and wants her to write what's called an instant book because we have party mom Ashlyn Bryant, you know, hello, Casey Anthony, and she's accused of killing her two-year-old daughter, Tasha Nicole. And again, you know, the evidence seems very cut and dried, even though it's pretty much circumstantial. Everybody assumes a guilty verdict. uh, And so the idea is that she's going to watch the trial feed from the privacy of her own home, work around the clock to write that book. And then when the verdict comes down, you know, it'll be published. Her name will be back in the spotlight and she'll have some money to live off off of for uh, some time being. So I'm not going to spoil this because there are many, many twists and turns. And again, there are very distinct parts to this book too. It's sort of a couple of stories um, that are told throughout. But what I can tell you is it is very much a cat and mouse story, but who's the cat? Who's the mouse? Mm. And also, um, what they've been saying is there's three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the truth. And truth Mm. is very much the underlying theme of the book. Um, So there's sort of an unreliable narrator bit going on. But does the narrator know she's unreliable, or does she believe what she's telling you? Very interesting. And what storyline matters, right? That is true. So very, very that sounds good. timely book, and a lot of people seem to be really engaged in it and picking it up. Um, and I think Hank's actually, she's going to get back to the Jane Ryland series 
soon, but she's working on another standalone now. Okay. More, more to come. Yes, and she's very dynamic. If you have not met her, she's pretty cool. Oh, and you know what my favorite part of that whole book was? Mm. This is not a spoiler. <laughs> There's a point when um, they're in uh, Mercer Hennessy's room, like, staring at her books, which is, we can appreciate that, because sure. that's what we do. Like, when your yeah. back is turned, I am in your bookcase. <laughs> and that is not a euphemism. It's <laughs> But, you know, they're, like, looking at her books, and then what do they find there? They find Marsha Clark's Simpson trial memoir. Oh, like, that's awesome. Best part of the book. I can stop right here. Five stars. Like, that's awesome. Complete page turner. Hey, I get it. That's how I felt about Little Women, the Meg Jo Beth Amy, the story of Little Women and Why It Still Matters by Anne Boyd Rood. She mentioned Willa Cather yes, in there, she which did. I didn't mention in our episode, I but I was like, whoa, Willa. Yeah, okay. <laughs> These things make a difference. It does. Like, they do. Absolutely. Yeah. I could uh, hear Chris when I read that <laughs> part of the book. Yeah. Standing I heard the cheering. cheering. Yes. I cheered. Go Willa. Go Willa. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, moving on along. So, all right, we're jumping into September. Yay, look at all us right, go. Here we're, we are. Here we are. And actually, the book I'm going to talk about next is in your pile. Oh, good. Oddly enough, Wendy Tyson's Rooted in Deceit. Oh, yeah. Which, Emily, you read that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's the fourth book in Wendy's Greenhouse Mystery Series set in Winsome, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a fun name, Winsome? It just mm-hmm. makes you think things. Makes me feel positive. Does it? Mm-hmm. Winsome? Yeah. A little bit of whimsy. Winsome, losome. We will be at Mohegan Sun soon. So, yes, you know, that's true. Winning's that losing. Is true. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Cha-ching. Except it's going to be after this airs, isn't it? It, it is. is, yes. Yeah. yeah. No, before. Before this airs. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. That's what I meant. This is oh, going yeah, to air is, after yeah. your yes, event. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you Well, maybe we'll all be millionaires by the time this airs. Who knows? And we'll have an intern who handles all the <laughs> editing and everything. We'll just sit around and read and talk and record, yes. and somebody else does all the heavy lifting. Could happen. Yeah. Quite possibly. Mm-hmm. Twist. It's like a real-life <laughs> plot twist. All right, so back to Wendy Tyson. Um, Wendy, if you're not familiar with her background, she actually was a lawyer and a therapist, and then she worked on a micro farm with her family. So sort of all of the things that are in her book come from her own personal experience and you kind of know if she knows what she's talking about and one of the things I like about the books I actually just discovered them last year I've only um, I've read the third one and the fourth one haven't read the first or second yet but it's cool because they take place during different seasons which of course that has different um, ramifications for gardening and all that kind of stuff like it's yeah, different yeah. the summer versus the yeah. fall versus the winter last year's was a Christmas book and it's hard to make a living in the winter yeah you know it's cold. Things aren't coming up. Anyway, in this new installment of the Greenhouse Mysteries series, we have Megan, who uh, very much like Wendy, is a lawyer turned farmer. Her name is Megan Sawyer, uh, and she's you know got several businesses going. So she farms. She has a restaurant. She provides uh, produce to outside businesses, restaurants to make a little extra money. And she's actually on the brink of the grand opening of a pizza restaurant in a barn that's on her property. Uh, you know, just another way to sort of generate revenue. Um, and also to repurpose that barn because bad things have happened in that barn in the past. Bad things. Oh, my. Bad. Badder than whatever you're thinking. <laughs> Those things have probably happened, too. Um, but anyway, adding to the excitement, uh, her father is back in town with his new wife, Sylvia. 
who is an Italian businesswoman, and she's just, you know, she's really, she's sophisticated, but like the snooty kind of sophisticated, so people don't really get a good feeling about her. Um, and so she decides she's here for business. They're not going to stay on the farm. They're actually going to go stay at the Peaceful Summit Yoga Retreat Center and Spa. That just flows right off the tongue. Um, but that's a new business that's just, you know, opened pretty close in proximity to Wendy's business. So they're going to stay there. You know, she wants to cultivate some art and bring it back to Italy uh, to sell. And one of the artists, uh, Thanamore, Tana, I don't know, is she has local roots too. She used to be Megan's best friend and now she is an artist. And so Sylvia thinks that she's going to get some of her works, bring them back, sell them for a lot of money. But bad news, Tana turns up dead. Somebody strangles her. And do you know who becomes a suspect? Sylvia. Yeah. It's bad for business. It's also a jumping off point because, you know, Megan had a very sort of strange relationship um, with this woman, they used to be best friends, and then there was sort of a love triangle, so everybody got torn apart. Megan ended up marrying a man who has later died. Uh, he was a war veteran. So it brings up all of her grief about his death because mm. it just brings the past back with a vengeance. Uh, she does have a new man in her life, but he is away in Scotland tending to uh, his ill sister. So, you know, she thinks other things might be going on. It's just a lot going on in her yeah. life all at once. Is it overwhelming to the mystery? No, I think it's pretty well balanced. And what I like about books like that is, you know, you introduce characters uh, that somebody knew in sort of a past life, and then there's sort of that opportunity for organic character development because you learn about who they were before you met them. So I think it's actually balanced pretty well. And what I like, too, about these books is you sort of get a sense of the business and the struggles that they face. So it's really a mix of the personal and the professional, the past and the present. Mm -hmm. Intriguing characters. I mean, so much so that I sort of want to go back and read the first two books, even though I don't have, like, a lot of unfulfilled reading time. It's just (laughs) Well, I picked it up on just the fourth. You know, I came in at the fourth, and it was a perfect standalone. I loved it. And there's a lot of food in it, which made me very happy. Yes. You know, I've been on, like, a pizza kick lately, and I'm wondering if that's why. (laughs) Why do I want pizza? Yes. Pizza three times a week. It's because of this book. (laughs) Kind of the perfect food. It's okay. It is. All right. So still in September. Actually, today is September 11th, um, and one of my recommendations was just published today. I know that when you'll be hearing this, it'll be out for a couple of weeks. But it's A Borrowing of Bones by Paula... Munier, Munier, I don't know if you know how to say her name, M-U-N-I-E-R. She's pretty well known in the writing world because she's an agent. She's written several nonfiction books on craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote a memoir, but she has just published her debut mystery. And then when I was reading it, I actually thought it was so- I thought it might be something that you would enjoy hmm. just because of sort of the setup of it. And John's looking at Chris as he yeah. Chris, I should say, yes, it's that's okay. right. I'm like, there's there's Fillmore there. But yeah. No, I'm looking at Chris. <laughs> Maybe I should be looking at him. <laughs> I'm like, was there pizza in this book? I cannot remember. Does it appeal to us all? <laughs> so the protagonist is Mercy Carr, who is, I believe, a 30-something. She's a former military police officer. Uh, she served in Afghanistan where her sort of secret boyfriend, Martinez, they met, fell in love. They were planning on getting married, but because of the rules, you know, they had to keep the re- relationship a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, but the plan was always, you know, when they retired from that, they were going to come home and make a life together. And unfortunately, he does not survive the war. He is injured, and his dying wish really is for her to take care of Elvis, uh, who is his bomb-sniffing dog. Oh. Yeah, so she ends up, you know, coming home to Vermont, living sort of 
isolated in the woods with Elvis, mm. trying to, you know, live up to what she promised Martinez, that this dog would be taken care of. And, you know, they're both very much wounded from the war, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and they both actually have some PTSD, uh, and they're learning to sort of trust in each other because, you know, her trust was in Martinez, the dog's trust was in Martinez, but the dog was very much his, and now it needs to become her dog, and they have to sort of establish that relationship, which they're working very hard to do. Uh, so they happen to be out, you know, in the woods. They take a long morning walk every day uh, as a way for them to sort of just center you know, themselves and get that physical exertion. And of course, one day they're out there and Elvis alerts to something. And, you know, you remember he was trained for bomb sniffing, so she assumes explosives. Um, But what happens is actually several things. First, they find a baby that's abandoned in the woods. Uh, Then when they go back with U.S. game warden Troy Warner and his search and rescue Newfoundland, Susie Bear, there's another dog. Um, But they revisit the crime scene. And what they find is in addition to where the baby was found, uh, there is a burial site. Human remains, they think, are found there, and also some traces of explosives. So there's just, there's a lot going on in the Vermont woods. Yeah. And they're not really sure, you know, what it is, but of course it all takes place right before the July 4th weekend. So uh, resources are kind of strapped, and they they really want to get to the bottom of this because they want to discover who the baby is, what happened to the parent or parents. But then obviously, you know, bodies turn up, there's a little bit more going on. It's not an isolated incident. There's a conspiracy. So is the baby dead? The baby is not dead. The baby's alive. The baby is transferred um, to a hospital for care and then you know the mother comes back and reclaims the baby and then the mother and the baby both disappear um, oh my. why is this i won't tell you okay. you want to read the book to know what i really really like is sort of the underlying theme is the unexpected connectedness between beings and not just you know uh, mercy 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 have mercy her name's Mercy. <laughs> um, but Mercy and uh, Troy Warner, you know, he himself is coming from a broken up marriage, but it's not the stereotypical, oh, two broken people meet and, you know, they have crazy sex and, wow, life looks better. It's not It's not that. It's like it's very subtle and tastefully done, mm-hmm. but you can tell that, you know, moving forward, this is supposed to be a series that there might be a romantic relationship there maybe. Um, but really, it's the connectedness between beings. And I have to say, I'm, you know, I can go either way on animal characters. Either I love them or I'm like, eh, you know, mm-hmm. but they're done so well. There is dynamic, is the human characters, um, very complex, and you end up feeling as much for these animals as you do for the people. And I think that that can be a hard thing to achieve, but she just nailed it. And you're an animal person. I don't know if you're an animal person. No. No. Oh, we probably shouldn't reveal this. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm proud to to say it. I don't not like animals, and I don't own animals. Sure. My dogs haven't gone running screaming from Emily or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, they no don't sense any that. weirdness. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was a running joke. My daughter, Rachel, rode horses for years, and there used to be a joke. She would have to go out in the field to get her horse, and that if I would go out with her, it was very difficult for her to <laughs> gather her horse, and sometimes she would say, hey, Mom, you know, how about you go back to the barn? So, yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I'm... Yeah. I like, sometimes I like animals and stories, and sometimes I don't even go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, that's why I was a little bit hesitant, because I wasn't sure how that was going to work for me, because mm-hmm. I tend to be the same way, mm-hmm. but it was so well done. Uh, and, you know, the author herself has a rescue dog, and she's very much aware of the history um, of, you know, the canine rescue, uh, and so she's able to bring that into the story in a way that actually really, really enhances it, oh. and they are actually 
you know, as much characters uh, as the actual people in our... And I'm going to read you the first line from the book just because it's a beautiful line and it sort of sums up everything that the story is about. Uh, so it opens with, Grief and guilt are the ghosts that haunt you when you survive when others do not. Mm. Very prophetic on the fact that we're recording this on September 11th. Yes. Very much so. Okay, uh, I have a, another September recommendation. Uh, Sadie, a book that just came out from Courtney Summers. Oh, yeah, yeah I have an arc of that Do one you? sitting on my shelf, and I wanted to get to it by now, but I haven't yet. I just read it over the weekend. Really interesting, and uh, Courtney Summers is a young adult novelist from Canada, and reading this book, you know, I'm not actually sure the intended audience. I don't know if this is meant to be a young adult book, an adult book. I think it's a really good bridge novel, mm-hmm. um, and I had thought that it was was aimed specifically at adults until I looked at the price and it was marked $17.99 and that's the sweet spot for hardcover young adult books Mm -hmm. so I don't really know Um, but it was a really you know interesting story and the setup is this a missing girl on a journey of revenge and a serial like podcast following the clues she's left behind Mm-hmm. I know there's been a lot of like podcasts and crime novels yeah. and here we are on a podcast <laughs> this is getting meta <laughs> <laughs> So it's basically the story of two sisters. Sadie is the older sister. I believe she's 19. Uh, She has a younger sister, Maddie, who dies at 13 years old. Not dies, well, not that you can die well at that age, but of course she is murdered. And Sadie actually pretty much raised her because uh, the mother, alcoholic, all kinds of addictions. Uh, And then she she sort of just takes off for L.A. and Mm -hmm. says, you know, I'm going to go find myself and I'm going to be there and just leaves these two daughters to fend for themselves and the mom had a really really strained relationship with Sadie but she had a much more loving relationship with Maddie because Maddie accepted her um, for who she was whereas Sadie was sort of more aware of mom's shortcomings and so did really all of the hands-on parenting for her younger sister so the murder just completely throws her into a tailspin and she is going to you know get revenge she's going to get vengeance for her sister Uh, Maddie. So it sort of alternates chapters between Sadie's experiences, you know, going out and trying to figure out who killed. And she has a pretty good idea, you know, of who killed her sister, but she has to sort of find her way to that person. So it's sort of a road trip. Um, But those chapters are interspersed uh, with episodes of the podcast. Um, So there's an investigative journalist, Wes McCrary. Wes, yeah, McCray, actually, I'm sorry. So he's doing a podcast called The Girls, and he's basically following her journey um, to try to figure out, you know, what became of her, where she is. Is she alive? Is she dead? Is she ever going to come back home? The mom does reappear. There's also sort of a de facto grandmother figure uh, who isn't a blood relation, but who is more of a relation to these girls than their own mother. Um, so there's a lot of heart to it and some, you know, dark dirtiness, too, because, of course. Um, but it takes place place in Cold Creek, Colorado, population 800. So just hearing it, you know, you get the sense of a very desolate place that's fallen on hard times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, that comes through very much so in the book. So new to me author, um, but I really, you know, enjoyed it. I think that it added a little bit more to sort of the podcast crime novel than some of the other books that have come out recently, mm-hmm. it wasn't just a rehashing. So I think if you get around to it, yeah. you know, I'd be interested I, to hear what you think. I think that was um, on the YA Book Buzz panel at, at um, Book Expo. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I think it is definitely a YA. Yeah. But. 
It's kind of cool. I mean, I remember when books first started coming out that incorporated cell phone yeah. and stuff and how people would be like, oh, that's so cool. You know, yeah. it's cutting edge technology and stuff. So I kind of like that. Now they're like, oh, you only have a cell phone or you're like 90. Yeah. <laughs> well, and uh, so many writers, you know, they make that decision to put their their novel pre-cell phone. Right. Because... You know, yeah. if everybody has a cell phone that... <laughs> or, it, it, oops, it fell into the water. Right, exactly. Yeah. That happens a lot. Because yeah. it's it's much uh, more titillating to have a mystery where people just can't pick up the phone and call every 20 seconds. Right. Or, or Google or, shit. Or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you said titillating with a semi-straight face. I am so impressed. <laughs> you knew I was going to call attention to it. Moving right along, so actually I'm going to talk about a book that's coming out next week, but it will already be on bookstore shelves by the time you hear this, uh, Button Man by Andrew Gross. Uh, and if you are familiar with the name, it's because uh, he actually did several collaborations with James Patterson at the beginning of his career. They wrote five or six number one bestsellers together, uh, and then he went off on his own, and he did what he calls suburban thrillers, contemporary set, and wrote many, many of those, and then decided, you know, I sort of want to tell stories that are a little bit more involved. Uh, and so in 2016, he turned to historical thrillers. He wrote a World War II era novel called mm-hmm. The One Man, and then he followed that up last year with another World War II era book. And so this year, he is back uh, with Button Man, as I mentioned. Um, and all of these historical books actually sort of pull from his family heritage, um, which is really, really interesting. For instance, this book is very much inspired by his grandfather, uh, who came of age in New York City uh, when the garment industry was, you know, Mm -hmm. just an up-and-coming thing. And Andrew Gross himself worked in the ladies' clothing business for many years before he turned to writing, uh, so he obviously has some familiarity with that as well. Basically, it's about a Jewish family um, at the dawn of the women's garment business, also, you know, the rise of organized crime in 1920s and 1930s New York City. Uh, So it's an immigration tale. Uh, There are three brothers at the heart of it, Morris, Saul, and Harry, and they, um, their parents were Jewish immigrants. And so they're all, you know, in Lower East Side in New York City, and there's some, you know, there's a childhood tragedy that plays into this, but also their father dies, you know, young and unexpectedly, and so the burden sort of falls on the children to take care of the family. Uh, And so Morris, who is our central protagonist, he ends up apprenticing at 12 years old in a garment Mm -hmm. factory, and, you know, he's sort of, he's a little bit presumptuous, and he's got a wise mouth, and people aren't really sure if they want to take him on or not, but sure enough, he learns the tricks of the trade really, really quickly. And he, he knows every element of that business that other people don't know. And they find very quickly that it, it can't run uh, without him. So he ultimately ends up opening his own uh, business. And he brings one of his brothers on to join him. His brother Saul had went to school for accounting. Mm-hmm. But he joins the business and they really very much want to bring in uh, their brother Harry as well. But Harry is sort of meandering and he's fallen in with the wrong crowd, a local bully in the neighborhood mm-hmm. who actually becomes, you know, a prominent member of the Jewish mafia. So he's sort of offered a different brotherhood so the Mm. loyalties are tested the brotherhoods um, are tested because really what happens is there's a fatal showdown between the Jewish mafia um, and the unions that staff the garment business because they want to infiltrate it you know they want the profit and it turns bloody very very quickly Um, and it sort of pits brother against brother even though everybody is sort of well-intentioned Um, But the cool thing about the book, too, is it combines um, real-life historical figures with make-believe 
figures, but in a very beautiful way that sort of elevates the book. So I am not, you know, the hugest reader of historical fiction. It's not really my genre of choice, but it's so well done. Um, and this really is as much, you know, a historical tale and a family tale as it is a thriller. So it's sort of a trifecta of triumph. Yeah, well done. Very nice. That sounds really good. It does, yeah. Yeah, it was trifecta of triumph. Yeah, it was really, really well done. So I think that you know people looking for a little bit more context in their thrillers, yeah, uh, might very much enjoy it. And I learned a lot. Like I did not know how prolific the Jewish mafia was. They were actually they were more prevalent at that time than the Italian mafia. Like the Italian mafia would like outsource their work to the Jewish mafia. I had no idea. I feel like that's one of those factoids that was sort of lost to history. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I, I enjoyed that. A lot. I wasn't sure if I would or not. It's actually, I've read several of his books, but that was the first historical thriller of his that I'd read. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed it very much. And I actually, I profiled him for mystery scene that should be out like any day now. So if you're very interested cool. in learning more um, about that and about his, the family dynamics that sort of inspired that story, there's a lot in the profile piece that we did. And it made me think of James Ben as well. Yeah. Um, another, you know, local author of mm-hmm. historical World War II uh, set thrillers. Yeah, the Billy Boyle series. Yeah, he has the Billy Boyle series. I know yeah. you're going to, well, you will have interviewed him uh, live by the time this episode is out, but he has a new book out, Solemn Graves. I actually haven't read it yet, but I've read a few of his books in the past, and they too are phenomenal. So if you're at all interested in that type of thing, you know, both guys are definitely worth checking out, and James Ben is actually local if that does anything yeah. for yes. you. Yeah, absolutely. Andrew Gross has some local roots, too. I feel like he always comes this way. He lives in Westchester, but... Oh, that's pretty local. Yeah, yeah and he does appearances in Connecticut pretty much for every book. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm going to throw out a quick From the Vault recommendation. Okay. Uh, I went back <laughs> in time and read The House of Silk by Anthony Horowitz, which came out in 2011. Uh, you might remember his name. He did Magpie Murders. The mm-hmm. name is Murder. Um, but... Back, not even a decade ago, but a while now, uh, he actually was authorized to sort of revive uh, the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, Sherlock Holmes stories. Uh, In this one, so it's narrated by our friend Dr. John Watson, (laughs) and it's basically set up as at the time of the telling of the tale, Sherlock is passed on, and so Watson is telling a story that was too scandalous to be told in his lifetime. Nice. Um, and it was a precursor to Moriarty, um, which was the name of the second Sherlock Holmes book that Anthony Horowitz did. I think, to this point, those are the only two uh, that he's done. I'm not going to, you know, spoil anything, but it was just, it was a really, really interesting, very well-done book. And even though it was set, you know, so many years ago, so many of the themes are still resonant and relevant to the times that we're living in. And it really had the same impact on me as uh, reading Sophie Hanna's Poirot novels did. Like, it totally rekindled... Her books rekindled my passion for Agatha Christie, and these have totally reignited my interest in, you know, sort of Arthur Conan Doyle, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, (laughs) in the Sherlock Holmes books, because I'm not overly familiar with them, but after reading that book, it makes me want to. Nice. I like Sherlock Holmes. I didn't when I was younger, um, but a couple years ago, I read a big chunk of them and really enjoyed Mm. them. Yeah. I feel like you got to get into that one of these days. Yeah. All right. I'm actually, I'm going to throw out really quickly a couple of young adult okay. recommendations, if that's all right. Absolutely. Uh, so The Cheerleaders from Kara Thomas. And here's the setup for that, which I also love. There are no more cheerleaders in the town of Sunnybrook. <laughs> <laughs> <Does that not laughs> just... 
Do I even need to say anything else? I mean, don't you want to know why? Bad things happen. Yeah. Um, like, do they live on a hellmouth, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something? I you mean. know, they did away with cheerleaders because in a very, you know, bad stretch of time, like, in a matter, I think, of like a couple of weeks, there were five dead cheerleaders. Um, two of them were killed in a car accident, two of them were murdered, and one committed suicide. Or so we think. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks they're unrelated, but are they? Can they be? Can really? five deaths of cheerleaders yeah. in quick succession not have some underlying commonality? Thank God we have Monica <laughs> to find that out for us. <laughs> so on the five-year anniversary remembrance of you know the tragic events that befell these cheerleaders, we have Monica, who is the younger sister of one of the victims, the one that they actually say committed suicide, okay. and she is beginning to have doubts. Uh, So she decides that she is going to get to the truth of things and discovers very quickly that things really aren't as they appear. Enough on that. Go Monica. Right? Go Monica. Second (laughs) YA recommendation, uh, just out from Gretchen McNeil. It's called Murder Trending, and it actually has a hashtag in the title. (laughs) That's great. Like, how contemporary is that? And I was really looking forward to this one uh, because she also wrote 10 a couple years ago, which was basically a young adult sort of version of Agatha Christie's and then there were none. And they made it into a Lifetime movie as well. (laughs) Read the book. (laughs) Read the book, people. But anyway, um, so this book, Murder Trending, is set in the near future where convicts are sent to Alcatraz 2.0, where there are carefully choreographed killings that can be viewed live on the Postman app. So if you're convicted of a crime, you are sent off to Alcatraz 2.0, and somebody is probably going to kill you or try to kill you in a very cinematic way because, you know, of course, they want views and they want to be trending uh, and all that. Fascinating. Isn't it? Yeah. And so our hero, our heroine in this book, is 17-year-old Dee. Uh, she is convicted of killing her sister through marriage, and she is sent to Alcatraz. Wait, killing her sister through marriage? Not her marriage. <laughs> what is that, her house? Her sister. <laughs> the, I don't know. It's weird because they're teenagers. Okay. What, ha- what do you call? So her... Oh, okay. <laughs> I felt like she... <laughs> Sorry, like I'm thinking, like how did she marry her sister? Okay, so death to your part. So she's like a step sister. Yeah, that. Okay, that would mystery solved. I was just like, wow, what is that? I know. You know, when I'm writing it to him, like that sounds so awkward. I'm like, what is she? (laughs) She's a stepsister. (laughs) So anyway, so anyway, you know. That's going to get edited out totally right now. So Dee goes to Alcatraz, and she flips the script. She wakes up, and she finds herself staged to die, and she somehow kills the killer. And then she sort of forms an alliance with other members who are looking to survive. They end up being called the Death Row Breakfast Club. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) And they, they have to, you know, try to find a way to get off this island alive, which is Easier said than done. Yes. And you know what's funny is, you know, they, I don't know if it's Twitter or what, but basically there's social media that runs throughout the book. People are commenting about what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the names was Miami Silent Machine or something. <laughs> Instead of the Miami Silent Machine, <laughs> I was like, yes! <laughs> Again, I can stop reading right here. But. It sounds yeah. like the author had a lot of fun. Yes, yeah, I, I think, think she did. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 
So interesting. Um, two quick Halloween recommendations. Yes. Uh, there is a book out from Disney called Hocus Pocus and the All-New Sequel. That is literally the title, Hocus Pocus and the All-New Sequel. <laughs> so you get the story that inspired the movie that actually came out 25 years ago this year. Can you believe it's been that long? Yeah. That Hocus Pocus? Yes. Oh, wow. I yeah, so there's that. And then tacked on at the end, uh, there is a 25 years later follow-up story. Mm-hmm. Um, so we meet Poppy, who is the daughter of uh, Max and Allison. They are the teenagers who get together in the first book. It apparently ended well for them because they got married and had a child. They're still living in Salem. And Poppy, you know, inadvertently brings the Sanderson sisters back to life. So, you know, that's Bette Midler and her little motley crew, uh, Kathy and Jimmy and Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> and they come back to life, and she needs to find a way to, like, bottle them back up. <laughs> You know? That's great. And it's kind of cool because it's a little bit more, you know, trendy. There's actually um, an LGBT theme that runs throughout the book. And I don't think a lot of people know that there's a sequel story. You know, everybody's waiting for the movie to be made. And I don't think that's going to happen. But you can get yourself to the bookstore and read that book. I don't know. I think it's hard to follow up on something like Hocus Pocus. It was very entertaining if you, you know, set your expectations accordingly. Mm -hmm. I was entertained. I just kept seeing Bette Midler's face. Yeah, I like the movie. Yeah. yeah. So is there rumor that the original cast might get together again? I don't know. People have been talking about it for mm-hmm. years, and it never happened. And I feel almost like, how can it now? Because the story's already out there. Yeah. Unless they decide to do something completely different. Okay. Anyway, I've heard, I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. I've heard mixed things from other people who read it, you know, who are so invested in the original that... Mm-hmm. Can you really live up to that? There were some fun little threads, though, that were pulled through. Like, in the original, the mom was dressed up as Madonna for Halloween. (laughs) And then in the sequel story, the new mom is dressed up as Lady Gaga. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Cute. So keep that in mind. It's by A.W. Jantha. Jantha. And then another recommendation. This book actually came out a couple years ago. It's called Kill Creek by Scott Thomas. And this is my horror recommendation. Um, Surprisingly, I really don't read that much horror because... I'm not always satisfied by it, but I was very intrigued by the premise of this book. There is what is called the Finch House in the Kansas countryside, uh, and it has a very dark and deadly legacy. And then four very well-known horror authors are invited to spend Halloween night there, Mm. and all kinds of craziness ensues. Um, But it was not the story that I was expecting. It does not all play out on Halloween night. There is a much lengthier story that comes after that. Uh, So it has a very, very interesting, unique character and it really does defy expectation. Uh, I liked it a lot. I was really glad I picked it up, so I would encourage people so to read it. So was it scary or gross? It was, I wouldn't say it was what gross. Kind of horror was um, it? Tastefully done. Tastefully Mostly, <laughs> there, you know, there were moments, but I didn't feel like it was overly gratuitous. Okay. Uh, but again, it was very, you know, savvy uh, because their experiences there are filmed uh, so people can watch it at home. And again, it's all, you know, driven by numbers and ratings and popularity. Um, but then it, the story really is what happens after they spend a night in the house because okay. the house sort of goes with them nice. yeah all right all right i like a good haunted house story me too yeah. and i loved though that it didn't all play out in the house because i feel like that's what everybody does right mm-hmm. yeah. 
maybe they come back to the house at the end. I don't know, but there's there's some other story there. Do you want me to give you a couple upcoming recommendations? Yes, yeah, please, please do. Yep. All right, so uh, Silver Anniversary Murder by Leslie Meyer. That's out on September 25th, again, after this will air. Um, but it's actually book 25 in her series uh, with Lucy Stone. 25. Can you believe it? So thus the Silver Anniversary Murder. Uh, and Lucy Stone, she's usually in Tinker's Cove, but she actually ends up in New York City for this book uh, mm-hmm. because she is investigating the death of her maid of honor. Oh, no. bummer. Right? That's I know. She wants. To, she says to herself, what happened to my maid of honor? And mm-hmm. <laughs> one phone call later, oh, she's dead. Wow. Mm. But anyway, um, they're fun books. I don't know if you've ever read them. They're classified as cozy, but they're kind of not. There's like some snark, and I feel like there's this play on manners that runs throughout them. But they're definitely on the edgier side of cozy. All right. Uh, so cool. I like them, and Chelsea, my wife, will even, you know, read them. And she's not really a cozy type of person. You'll vouch for that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he made me say this. <laughs> she can be, um, but... Oh, I'm going out of order. Anyway, um, another one I'm looking forward to. I have not read this book. It is in my stack. I'm hoping to get to it real soon. You actually gave me a copy, Chris. Uh, but The Real Lolita by Sarah Weinman, oh, yeah. which actually comes out today, which is September 11th yes. when you hear this. Um, and it's been called a literary detective work. And what it does is it weaves together the true life kidnapping of Sally Horner and the making of Novikov's classic novel, Lolita. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Weinman is very well known in the mystery community and sort of the writing community at large. Uh, and this is sort of a breakout book for her so I am yeah, looking forward looking to reading forward to that. that. I've I'm heard so, good things. I'm so surprised at myself that I haven't read it yeah. yet because I definitely, that was one of the big books from Book Expo that I was really looking forward to. So I look forward to getting into it. I know, I just haven't Sounds been able good. to like find the time yet. And I sound like yeah. that guy, I pick it up and then I'm like, oh, I really have to read this because I'm on deadline. So like, I pick it up, I put it down. Like that commercial, <laughs> right. I pick things up, I put them down. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, gonna, it's a book about a book. And True crime and then a book about a book. Like what a neat combination. Yeah. A unique combination. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right, we're going to have to like make a pact to read it and talk yeah, about do, it next yeah. time we should we do, do a this. buddy read. Okay, yeah. we'll do a buddy read. I'll, we can... I'll watch okay. from the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> for the referee, yes. Yes, if you're not even reading, right. you're just saying I'll, I'll call you things. guys. Ready, set, go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So moving right along, uh, November Road by Lou Burney comes out on October 9th. Again, this is a book that is getting a lot of hype, and I am—I have not read it. It actually just landed on my doorstep today. Thank you, Daniel Bartlett at HarperCollins. I hope it's HarperCollins. <laughs> Like, wait a... No, um, But anyway, uh, I don't know if people know this about me or not, but one of the things that really fascinates me is the JFK assassination. Mm-hmm. And this November 22nd will be the 55th anniversary of that dark day in history, if you can believe that. Uh, so this book actually plays out against the backdrop. Um, it's a fiction book, but there are, you know, historical figures in it. So really what happens is within hours of the assassination, everybody with ties to New Orleans mob boss Carlos Marcello is turning up dead um and so the protagonist frank has associations with marcello and he's wondering am i going to be next and how can i avoid that fate uh and people who are you know familiar with the lore surrounding the assassination many people do believe that marcello was one of the people that organized and pulled off the assassination uh so this seems to feed into that a bit but i am very much looking forward to that and also um, in a similar vein, there is a nonfiction book out on November 20th, Denial of Justice by Mark Shaw. And it's actually a sequel to The Reporter Who Knew Too Much about Dorothy Kilgallen. What was the show? Whose line is it? Um, is that not it? 
she was on a show, a television show, very popular uh, in the 1950s and 60s, but she was also an investigative reporter, and she professed that she was going to break the JFK assassination wide open. Uh, she was the reporter, right. the only reporter who was really granted access to Jack Ruby, and then she died very mysteriously, mm-hmm. um, and it's never really been proven definitively, but a strong case can be made for the fact that she was murdered. Um, after she died, all of her documents pertaining to the JFK assassination went missing. They have never been found. I read an article. The New York Times, within the last year, did a, a big article yeah, about um, that. because he had a book out, uh, The Reporter Who Knew Too Much, mm-hmm. and the whole idea was to try to spur on a new investigation of that case, and it did get a lot of coverage. Um, I think they're even making that book into a movie, right. but she's always been one of those really fascinating figures in history to me mm-hmm. so now to have two books specifically you know about her and the circumstances of her death I think are yeah. really really so interesting so did they open up the case again do you know or? they were looking at it okay. but I'm not sure if officially it's actually gone anywhere hmm but they so were taking another look. Dark Sacred Night by Michael Connolly is coming out on October 30th. Uh, and the reason I'm looking forward to this one is because it's a crossover novel. So not only does it have Harry Bosch, uh, who's a retired detective, but it features uh, Renee Ballard, who is the protagonist of his newest series. Cool. Uh, and she works what's called The Late Show. It's basically the overnight shift at the police department. So, you know, she comes into work one day and finds somebody going through the files. And she's like, who is this guy? And it's Bosch. And they end up sort of teaming up together on a cold case Um, so that I think has great promise and I like the title Dark Secret Night yes right and then some quickies Uh, October 30th Yule Log Murder comes out (laughs) I am a sucker for like those holiday holiday things yeah Yeah, where people die and you laugh because they're drinking eggnog (laughs) (laughs) at least they died happy yeah Yeah, right (laughs) eggnog Um, So it's three sort of novellas. It's Leslie Meyer again, who is doing the Silver Anniversary Murder, uh, Lee Hollis and Barbara Ross. And they did a book a couple years ago called Eggnog Murder, um, Mm. similar thing. So I always, you know, sort of enjoy that. Yeah. Murder, She Wrote, Manuscript for Murder is coming out on November 6th. It's the second book that John Land has written in that series, and it's number 48 overall and sort of the Murder, She Wrote canon. Interesting to me because, you know, Don Bain and Renee Paley Bain had collaborated on those books mm-hmm. since the very beginning. Uh, they've both passed on recently, unfortunately, and so John Land, who is more known as a thriller author, uh, has taken over that series, and he's given a little bit more edge to, you know, Jessica Fletcher and Cabot Cove, and there's a lot of insider knowledge about about the publishing industry, cool. um, which one of the things that's always fascinated me most about Jessica is her writing career, mm-hmm. and it's called Manuscript for Murder. How yeah. can you not be intrigued, right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this, but Louise Penny's Kingdom of the Blind yes. comes out on November 27th, uh, so the newest Gamache book, and this is really great because she wasn't sure if she was going to have a book out this year. Right. It's sort of later uh, for her. It's a different season, but my sources on the street, huh, my sources on the street tell me it's really, really good. I have a friend who popped in at RJ Julia over the weekend um and they were you know asking hey might she be coming back on book tour probably not unfortunately i guess other people you know want to see her um but someone at the store said that they got an arc of the book and read it and it was phenomenal so that's nice yeah release day is always a holiday at my house because i go and pick up the book that morning and i just have a day of reading well you wanted to kick my ass because last time her book came out, I got an arc from Criminal Element, and I yeah, signed I up to review it. Yeah, I told you to make it. sure you lock your doors and everything. I know. She was, like, coming <laughs> after me. I'm like, <laughs> heard? 
Well, I was just sitting here thinking, wow, we're just around the corner from RJ's, and there's a copy of that there, and oh, I could yeah. see Chris. Like, oh, it's the Madison one, though. Oh, never they, mind. Who knows? They may have You know what? I've, I've... Did you hear that, everybody? We got to wrap it up. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I decided I, I didn't want to pursue arcs of that, because, like, mm-hmm. then... You have to wait even longer mm. to get the next book unless you're yeah, on that arc cycle. I like the idea of getting it and being involved in the hype of the day. Yeah, that's so fun. That's and sitting yeah. down with a book that's, you know, the real hardcover yeah. and all that. Because yeah. lots of times when you get arcs, it's digital now and or it's not, you know, the finished copy. So mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, the hard thing is like a book like that, you know, you get an arc and you just, you know, you're going to read it early. And then if you're like me and you sign up for review, how are you going to remember it three, three months later? Right. And then like you can't talk about it with nope. anybody, you know? Because you don't yeah. want to ruin it. Right. Especially yeah. a book And nobody like else that. has read, read it. And, yeah. yeah. So these are all the things I tell myself to make myself feel <laughs> better than I'm yeah. already at a copy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and can I say one last thing? Yeah. I'm going to throw in a quick plug for my stuff in Mystery Scene just because. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Please do. Um, but the current issue of Mystery Scene, I actually hear it's hot off the presses. I haven't gotten nice. my contributor copies yet, but apparently they went into the bags at BoucherCon, which is really, really Very cool. cool. Um, but I'm excited because I got to interview Sophie Hanna about the new Poirot novels. I think I talked cool. about that last time I was on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was real cool to you know get to interview her. And also Andrew Gross, I had recommended his Button Man, and we got to do a nice piece. Uh, and then... I'm on deadline now for the winter issue and pray for me. Um, you know, if there are some moving pieces at this point, it's <laughs> not usually happening so late in the game. Um, but I'm going to have a profile of Cleo Coyle, uh, which is a husband and wife team. They write the uh, coffee house mysteries, but they're actually bringing back their haunted bookshop mysteries. They haven't nice. written one in a decade, and this is their first one. Uh, and it's great because there's a there's a PI named Jack, so the thing is Jack is back, um, nice. you know, except he's a ghost. <laughs> but he haunts a bookstore. That's so excellent. there's like, and there's just all these insider references to stuff that goes on in bookstores and the whole trend nice. with like girl in the title. So that was a lot of fun to read. And then, <laughs> really knock on wood, I'm supposed to be interviewing Mary Higgins Clark and Alifair Burke. Uh, because they have their fifth Under Suspicion novel coming out on November 6th. It's called You Don't Own Me. Uh, and again, great collaboration because Alifair Burke just brings a little bit more edginess to Mary Higgins-Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of full circle for me because I always refer to Mary Higgins-Clark as sort of my gateway to adult reading. Like hers was the gateway book because she was the first you know, adult suspense novelist I read after my whole Nancy Drew obsession. Yeah. So I probably wouldn't be this crazy person if it wasn't for <laughs> all around the town. Nice. <laughs> and that BonkerCon that John mentioned, that's the big, mis- one of the big mystery conferences of the year. Hi, everybody has yeah. been telling me that's the one you need to go yeah. to, and I still haven't been it's, there. But it's it huge. Like and it rotates. I think it was just in Florida. They just wrapped up. Yes. Um, and so it's all over the country. I think they've done it in Canada as well. Yeah, they've been all over. And my friend Erin Mitchell uh, sort of puts it all together, and she's yeah. just a great bookish person. Is that how you say it? Bowker? Bowkercon? I've heard a <laughs> lot of people. How do you spell it? It's B-O-U-C-H. E-R-C-O-N? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, that's one. That's the one I pronounce when I see it, because people post a lot about it. I call it Boucheron. Oh, look at that one. Which, is, which yeah. is French. Yeah. 
I oh. was like, oh, everyone's off to Boucheron. How, how do you say it, John? Uh, well, I was saying Vouchercon, but I don't know if that's I'm not sure. Not. But, it's, but it's not with a con at the end. Vouchercon, isn't it? Oh, well, con. Yeah, because Boucher is a writer. Oh, and, oh. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not capitalized C. No. No, it's not. It's, it all, one it's all one word. Yeah. I always thought, oh, they're off to this Frenchy conference, Boucheron. <laughs> so, I mean, it almost sounds like something you eat. I'm <laughs> off to Boucheron. <laughs> I have always thought that's what it is. That's so funny because Sarah Henry, the author I follow on um, Facebook, she who was a Booktopian author, mm-hmm. she writes about it all the time. That's so interesting. Funny. I've only been once, and it was a long time ago, and I don't know, I don't remember if anybody said the word out loud there to... <laughs> so, dear listeners, chime yeah. in on this and let yeah. us know. I always thought it was like this French mystery conference. Ooh la la. Yeah. yeah. No, just all, all things mystery, and it's huge. Okay. It's like multiple days with multiple panels. It's one of those that you have to decide what you're going to go to. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And, and people from all over the world come to it yeah you know it's u.s heavy i think but i'm sticking with boucheron then (laughs) (laughs) wow well john john thanks so much again thank you for being here sorry listeners but you just got about two years worth of reading out of this one episode so and good luck we're really thankful john that you come on occasionally and give us your recommendations Yes, and if any of you have not read John's reviews, I'm now an avid reader of his reviews. You're a fantastic writer as well, I would like to say. I appreciate that. And I know you all are sitting here waiting, just anticipating what the giveaway is going to be, because this is episode 60, another 10 episodes. It's amazing. Every 10 episodes, we give away books. Last time I was here, you were like right at 50. You were around 49, I think. How crazy is that? Yeah. Interesting. That's right. Yeah, you were 49. Yeah. So this is episode 60. And we have some goodies to give away. Yes. Yay. Yes. Do John you want to has start? something in front John of John has I some contributions. Do yes. have contributions. What do I have? Contraband and contributions. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. It's Halloween season. So I am going to give away a copy of Tricks and Treats, a collection of spooky stories by Connecticut authors. It does happen to have two of my stories in it, but there are yes. some good ones, too. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I can vouch for that. <laughs> I that there are some good ones. <laughs> I read that collection when it before it came out. You did. I did. You, I, you were like our first reviewer. Yes. And the cool and, thing is, like, I now get to say that I was published with Mark Twain, and because alphabetically our <laughs> yes. names are right next to each other, he is rolling over. He is somewhere. rolling over. <laughs> That's he, awesome. Yes. In, in the review that I did, I said, "Now my creepy Connecticut basement feels even creepier." After reading this, it is a good collection, and I rarely read a collection all the way through. You know, I might just pick and choose some stories. There were two stories that didn't, like, really appeal to me personally. They weren't yours. Um, but, you know, they're just <laughs> well, not I my did. cup of tea, but yeah. I still read them and enjoyed yeah. them. So that's a fun thing. And which stories are... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't want to know. I already know. <laughs> Ask me later. No. Uh, I am also, because I am always telling people that this is, like, my favorite book in the whole wide world, I am giving away. <laughs> it's it's wrapped in bubble paper, so I think what I'm giving away is a signed uh, first edition of Marsha Clark's O.J. Simpson trial memoir, Without a Doubt. This is the book that I can reread, you know, every year and find something new that excites me, and it is signed by the author. That's exciting. Marsha Clark is, like, iconic these days. 
that is an amazing thing to give away. Yes, thank you. Hopefully, like I said, hopefully that's really what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'll open it before uh, <laughs> before we send it along to whoever wins. And I also am going to give away a one-year subscription to Mystery Scene Magazine. Wow, wow. John, that's amazing. <laughs> to, re- to, to recap, a one-year subscription to Mystery Scene Magazine, which is really cool, Marsha Clark's signed copy of Without a Doubt, and the... It's a story collection, it Tricks is. and Treats, a collection of spooky stories by Connecticut authors, including yours truly, our mystery man, John Valerie. John Valerie. Sure. Really Thank you for it. having me and for coming to my little neck of the woods. How to enter to win this great giveaway and really Mystery Scene Magazine, that's an awesome magazine. I love that. So what you have to do is be a subscriber to the Book Cougars newsletter. If you're already a subscriber, you're entered to win. If you would like to become a subscriber, just go to our website, bookcougars.com. There's an option there to subscribe. Yep. There's a tab at the top that says subscribe. Yep. Simple. Put your email address in and you're entered to win. Enter by October 6th, and we'll pick a new winner on October 7th. Excellent. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. All right. Happy Happy reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.